Part three, here we go. Uh, hey you, you're listening to Sloancast. We are your hosts slash best friends slash fellow Sloan superfans. My name is Rob. This is Ken. Ken, how's it going, buddy? I am doing fantastic. Let's get her. Yeah, man. Back to the Future was a trilogy. Star Wars, Lord of the Rings. This is the uh, Sloancast trilogy as we continue to march headlong to the end of never hear the end of it. It's, it's something, God, honestly, it feels like we're never going to hear the end of this fucking podcast subject, but here we go. Let's get back into the album. Where did we leave off? Yeah. So golden eyes is made up on the floor for sure. There's no way that this was written before the recording session, mm-hmm. but it works out well. And it, it's again, it is an encapsulation of Andrew's swagger. It just drips. It oozes testosterone this song doesn't it i mean he's he's coming out here saying things like i'm feeling bolder than thou you people <laughs> there's not much to say here it's a great it's a great and they did it live and they they, they pulled off those those cool intro uh vocals acapella really well live love the bass here Oh, it's just great. I mean, this is, again, like I just said a second ago, this is them just flexing their strengths, which is a completely different sound from the song you just heard and totally unique from the one you're about to hear. Um, you know, this is this is one of the ones that when I first heard it and was unaware of who was singing, I thought it was Chris at first. Because um, he's definitely in the mix there mm-hmm. in that big harmony with them when they're singing the words gold. At the beginning, yeah. Yeah, I love the panning. It's super psyche. Like the the vocals are all over the place. Like listening to this song with headphones is such a treat. Um, and it's them really yeah. getting psychedelic. You know, there's this doesn't happen a ton on their records, and it's a great little moment. Um, I know uh, Andrew's a big guided by voices guy, um, and I, I don't know if there's maybe a little bit of influence there in terms of just sort of the you know. Yeah, there's also some like late '60s pretty things uh moody right. blues and i know that chris has gone on record to confirm that andrew has taken a lot of influence from the pretty things if anybody doesn't know this band sort of brit pop uh late 60s halfway between white album uh abbey road b-side and velvet underground is where i'd put them so really kind of trippy lennony uh feeling but very uh very dark very dark as well. So check out Parachute um, by The Pretty Things and tell me you don't hear a little bit of golden eyes in there. Oh, for sure. And and again, we're getting kind of like Andrew's taking all these amazing influences and he's doing what everybody in this band does, which he's being sort of a conduit for all of them and turning it into himself. This is what he sounds like. When you listen to this song, when you hear the songs yeah. of the various guys on this record, this is their style. And then and it's a good point to just kind of bring this up again. They're really showing off the and, and defining their own personal styles, you know, even more so on yeah. than on other records. They're not pretending to be other people or try, trying to maybe even copy each other in a way. Like in this, in this instance, like they're really kind of laying it down and they've, they've obviously found their own voices and stuff, but they've, they're really showcasing their character. And this is one of Andrew's many characters for sure. Speaking of characters, we're moving into, can't you figure it out? Which has a pretty, you know, there's a sudden break between, golden eyes and can't you figure it out the formula of this song is for me very reminiscent of the formula in false alarm um the guitar riff is similar uh in in a lot of ways even though it's played quite differently there's no capo i don't think on can't you figure it out again we're, we're seeing some elements here that we've seen peppered across other tracks over over the course of jay's career right so there's the discussion of the underrated appearance at the halloween dance so we hear about school dances or basement dances or whatever in waiting for slow songs and in junior panthers and there's some allusion to sort of like teenage 
love in a lot of Jay's songs. And we're seeing that here. I, the funny thing is, is like when I first listened to this song, I automatically thought of Earth, Wind, and Fire September because the opening lyrics are just, do you remember when October disappeared in the... Right? And uh, it just reminds me like, oh, do you remember 25th sure, night sure. of September? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? So, I'm, you know, <laughs> Jay, Jay, Jay is citing, citing all kinds of different musical influences here. Don't get me wrong. Grew up a big Earth, Wind, and Fire fan. Probably. I, I think that that's really just more of a source of maybe citation by osmosis more than more than anything. You know, the elements that we hear across other J songs on this record, right? So really catchy kind of yaz, complex backing vocals that really pound you in the stomach. This is this is I think the best expression of that on this album. Um, and again, we hear Jay alluding in this song to his own writing process as a as a musician to the way that he writes songs i'm staying up till half past two writing this song for you and i'm up at half past three dreaming of the melody right so Mm. he's written before about oh i need so long to write songs and now he's talking about well you know i gotta finish this this song for this person it's half past two but i'm doing it so i'm seeing here almost in many ways i'm almost seeing a sequel to a song like waiting for slow songs And maybe like a prequel to which is one, which is going to be coming out on parallel play. He's, he's making, I mean, he's, he's saying the word disappeared here, which is a magical word. He's talking about October, which is sort of like a, you know, spooky, interesting, you know, time of year, it's Halloween and stuff. And he's talking about, he mentions here a a spell's been cast. Um, So I don't know if he's necessarily singing about the same person that he's referencing in which is one, because there's a lot of that language is mm. kind of present. Um, mm. So, you know, we could speculate all day, who knows, but just, I love all the lyrics. Yeah. That's staying up till half past two, writing the song for you. I love the idea of a self French. He's, he's singing about himself writing the song in the song. Like, I love it. Um, and uh, <laughs> It's yeah. a meta level examination. <laughs> and musically very similar to which is one too you know uh, it, these songs like the songs i mentioned on this album as well are kind of in that canon of just perfect pop songs uh coming from the j-man and um yeah love the love the guitar a very johnny marr peter buck-esque yeah. you know yeah. uh played yeah. on a uh you're the guitar guy is that a rickenbacker i'm yeah i'm wondering if he's playing this on his rick um, I know that he had the Rickenbacker in the studio f- during the recording. I've never heard the end of it. And uh, in the practice space, and they have all their gear in the practice space, guys. But you know, <laughs> we've seen him play the Rickenbacker in the in the in the videos. And uh, the the little the line about an appearance at the Halloween dance for some reason always makes me think of the Karate Kid when Daniel goes to the dance the <laughs> <Nice>. shower uh, <sighs> and then has to be you know has uh, to face Cobra off Kai never the, dies uh, Cobra Kai guys I don't know why I mean every time I hear that lyric I just, I just think of that but I'm sure it's something completely you know I wonder what Jay was dressed up as for Halloween uh, that year it was probably uh, probably was just, a sailor I'm thinking let's yeah. speculate for a second so it was either a sailor we can do a vote online so when Jay wrote this song the Halloween dance and he made an appearance uh, or so, or he was at a dance and who he's talking about made an appearance. We don't know. He was either dressed up as a sailor or Mike love or uh, let me think who else would he be dressed up as? Dressed you up gotta help Mike me out love. here, Ken. Wouldn't you be dressed up as Give Al Jardine? Give us some feedback. I think, everybody I feel like listeners. would do a better Al Jardine. <laughs> 
I guess. Yeah. And then there's that great, there's that great moment in um, keeping the tour alive where he goes out into the middle of the street and does the little dance, which I know is in a beach boys <laughs> documentary. I, I swear to God, I've been thinking about this for a week. I got to find the clip. It's definitely in endless oh, harmony. Man where somebody goes, it's, yeah. it's, it's either Bruce or Al Jardine or somebody goes out into the middle street and they do a little funny kicky dance. And, uh, oh my God. I, and I know that that's what Jay's <laughs> referencing. So I swear by the time you hear this listener, I will have found that clip. I will have put them together side <laughs> by side and it's on our Instagram at Sloancast on Instagram. Oh, um, but anyway, the, oh, I, God. we got, we got to um, hear from the, from the listeners. What would Jay dress up, yeah. to, dress up as for Halloween? I don't want to. I don't want to. You know, pull this track into into a completely different direction because I love the discussion we're having here. But just to <laughs> highlight again, and you're a drummer, so I feel as though I'm stealing your your wind. But I love the drumming work here. Listen to the like the little tiny snare rolls in at the end of the chorus, just like this really subtle like. Mm. It's uh, it's and, and you know, this is Andrew. I'm thinking, but it just sounds ridiculously good and that backing piano riff in the chorus like this is subtle these are subtle nuances that weren't part of the artistic package for action packed yeah and in keeping the drum simple too is a is a good uh it's it's tasteful and i think when you're doing when you're making these like perfect little three minute pop songs you know having tasteful little drum ideas like that and little you know things that repeat and stuff, but don't really get in the way of the rest of the song. Like that's for sure what's happening here. Like, you know, a couple songs ago, we had like a pretty major fill in the middle of uh, a Jay song, but for the most part, the drums are not very flashy on his songs. They're kind of just there to sort of support yeah. the overall weight of the song structure and the songwriting itself, which is sort of the star of the show. Um, but yeah. Uh, yeah, love it. Great, great song. Right. And, and and a seamless transition to set in motion. I'm sure you have a lot to say about this track as 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 a Chris fanboy. Um for me, <laughs> for me it's all by ourselves. For me, it's all by ourselves part two. Mm. If we're talking about a book about the band or about Chris in All By Ourselves and the fact that this book shouldn't have been written at all, then that would be a nice little link. Um so for me, it's actually not one of my favorite tracks on the album i'm going to be completely frank i i i feel as though maybe it's just where it is on the album more than anything i mean i just clutched my there's nothing to hold against it okay go ahead yeah what i do really like here is the bass work um very complex bass line the bass line changes from verse one to verse two um mccartney-esque beatlesque falsetto backing vocals as well the structure of the song is very good i love the lyrics don't get me wrong i love the lyrics i love the idea of 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 chris kind of sitting in on the filming of his own biopic um but i don't know it just it feels as though like the density of the tracks that we've been getting over the last three or four but maybe that's maybe that's again a, a reason why it's sitting here on the album yeah, I've got a lot to say here. Uh, yeah, this one's for me. I mean, if it's not in my top five Chris songs, like it's it's in that top ten. Um, I love the lyrics. You know, I, I I just I think this song is so fantastic. It, it like like you said, it transitions from the others from the last song, which we get often from Chris and Jay because I think they're the two of anybody who are really going to kind of you know 
go into the corner and be like, you know, my song's going to go into your song and your sign that I'm going to reference your song and my song, you know, and you're going to sing the bridge on my song or whatever. And that song that was like six songs ago is going to make another appearance in my song later in the album. <laughs> you know, I love it. I love it. And I, I, I fantasize about being in a band with a coat with a co-conspirator where we come up with these kind of things, you know what I mean? Like, and we were talking earlier about this band being without peer, like where else does this happen in pop music? You know, the last hundred years, where are people taking little pieces of songs and referencing their own songs and singing on each other's bridges? And it doesn't, it's, it doesn't exist. If it exists, you know, fucking reach out and correct me or whatever. But these guys are just in a class all their own. Anyway, whatever. Um, You know, Chris is being his sort of usual self-deprecating self-deprecating self, which is sort of his communication style in a way. Um, you know, similar to fading into obscurity from earlier in the album, but in where fading into obscurity is a song about kind of settling in a way for where you are in life and fading into obscurity might sound like a downfall, but he's saying at the end, like, you know, I couldn't, but I, I wouldn't change it if I could. And I'm very accepting of where I am. The lyrics here are you know what? just accept. Sorry, I don't, I don't mean to, I don't mean to interrupt no, you. It, it, I don't mean to interrupt you, but that, that, that might actually be, that might actually be the one thing that irks me about this song is that it's the second of the same genre from Chris on the solo album within the album. Right. Mm-hmm. So we've already had fading into obscurity as an autobiographical track. Mm-hmm. And now we have set in motion as a more lighthearted autobiographical track. Mm-hmm. So Okay, maybe maybe two sides of the same coin, but this is all happening within the same album. So uh, again, nothing against this this song. Love the song. It's just if I would have to pick, you know, a handful of least favorites on this album, then this might float into that group. Okay, that's fair. I mean, for me, uh, fading into, into obscurity is maybe a little more sincere, and this one's very tongue in cheek. Like this is. You know, I don't want to yeah. say a silly song from Chris, but it's definitely got some humor and a lot of double meaning going on. And um, yeah, so, it, but his chorus here, like I was saying, is like a mantra for life. You know, just accept that these things are going to happen. Everything is set in motion. It'll yeah. happen anyway. You know, like, and, and, and regardless of where you stand, you know, with a belief system or how you live your life or whatever, taking a moment and kind of just taking a deep breath. And you know what? Like, this is this is what's this is what's happening right now you know there's probably not a whole lot i can do about the situation i'm gonna live through it you know especially if it's relational it's only a matter of time and it's a very mature place to be speaking from singing from you know in terms of lyrics yeah um so i love it in that and in the double meaning too where he's saying things like ask the director where do i stand you know uh he's obviously making a joke about being on the set and his cue and then also where do i stand in the kind of grand scheme of things in life or as a band or whatever it is and you know chris is all of these guys are but chris in particular one of the greatest pop songwriters ever in the history of the world and that's on full display on this album and no question this song here as well so i mean the the quality of music from these guys i can't say it enough holy shit just incredible the song is like a 10 out of 10 and when you're taking it i mean in in, in my case if you're if you're taking a track and saying okay well maybe this isn't one of my favorite tracks on the album but it's still 30 times better than a track on a fucking album by whoever right oh yeah like a track that that you might 
yeah, a track that you might not like on this record that might be like one of your, you know, B pluses or whatever, it would be a standout track on anybody else's for sure. Yeah. And, uh, you know, this is what I love about this album is that you can, I'm, I'm kind of eating my words now because I love this song. Uh, and I love the way that it happens. And I love, I love the way that I love the statement that he's making here, but you can also just put on the record and the way that it's built, you can just turn it on and have it in your head and you don't need to consciously listen to everything. It's just happening in the background, whatever. Right. And you know, probably, like I said, I listen to this album at least once a week. Mm. And this, you know, this is, I, I think, again, just a, a nice, a nice track that sends you from one side of the album to the other. And we're getting, we're getting close here to sort of the the home stretch with the last fifteen or whatever songs. <laughs> um, <laughs> we're we're moving, we're we're moving, we're moving now to a track that um, I believe is one of the one of the top love songs in the band's catalog. Mm. In love is all around. Yeah. Um and a pairing, and we talked about this as well in, in the in the in the epilogue to or in the prologue to, to to this episode, we talked about this being almost a pairing with I Know You Later. Mm, right. And it's the other side of Andrew on this album. On the, you know, on, on the one hand, we have this big swagger and kind of bragging quality, and you know, he's just oozing with 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 manliness and this sort of looking, you know, looking to you people. <laughs> On the other hand, we have this super introspective, soft, poetic Andrew, and this is uh, this is the more this is the more edgy of the two love songs on the album. I love the introduction and the tension that's being built within the introduction with that single bass note that boom, 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 boom moves up an octave, which is you know very very well used way of building up tension, and then the maracas, which we hear percussive instru- instruments. Uh, just that guitar riff, that that metallic guitar riff with huge reverb, and then that main guitar riff with the flanger comes in, and it just sounds so bad. I've never heard Andrew sound this bad before. It just sound like this low. So it's a low tempo, swaggering love song, right? And this is the bridge between that like high swagger of. I've got to try or of golden eyes. And then that really introspective side on, I know you a bit later, you know, we get that. If you get lyrics, like, you know, you, you never met a man like me before I walked right onto your open floor where love is all around. Right. So it's almost like that bridge between, you know, I'm super confident in myself, but I'm also, there's also humility in it. Right. So you melted me down to build me up. It's such a great expression of like, I'm really confident in who I am, but you make me a lot better. I'd love to be in this man's head for these tracks. I'd love to be a, you know, a brain cell in this guy's brain for when he's writing these songs. It's in like, he goes from something super confident to, I feel like I'm losing my basis of hoping. And I hope that I'm not losing my sense of feeling. Like what, what's happening here is, is this, it's, it's, it's a reflection of the turbulence that you can feel in a relationship with someone. And we're talking about like, he's been in this relationship with Fiona for 15 plus years at this point, and he's still writing songs like this. Like what, what does that tell you about true love? Well, relationships right? you, change over so, time, you know, and we're going to, I'm going to get to that in my, in my point in just a second, but sorry, go ahead. No, I mean, I mean, I just, there's the, lyrically, there's just such great stuff happening here and musically as well, but just 
like the concepts that are happening here in terms of you picked me up and you took me in. I was the only game in town, right? So we're getting back from, I don't know, you picked me up and you took me in almost sounds like somebody's, you know, your partner is taking in this desperate stray dog or something, but I was the only game in town and I think you knew it. Right. So there's this, there, there's this switching contrast between huge confidence and vulnerability. And there's also some reflections on aging in here. I talked about, you know, they, they've been in this relationship for 15 plus years. They have two kids now. If we tone things up like they were before, the pack grows wider as we get older, right? And, you know, so reflections on we're, you know, we're going to stick through this regardless. And things are just getting better and better and better even though I might feel vulnerable at certain times, you know, I'm really confident in myself and I'm confident in what we are together. You know, and look, the kids are playing on their own. We can focus on ourselves. That was a line that I was going to touch on that really kind of hit me. Uh, to kind of take it back for a second, I like the transition. If it's not the same, it's very close to the same BPM as set in motion. So uh, it could be in this place for that reason. And, I, and I'm sure there were multiple reasons why they put certain songs before or after each other, whether they were tone, say, like something about to do with the tone of the song or the BPM or the singer, you know, uh, that would be, that could be a whole episode, you know, speak to somebody who's kind of in on the process a bit and how that decision must have been made. Um, and you posted a thing recently about, on, on our uh, Sloancast Instagram about the time it took for them to kind of come to this track list, right? Yeah, I mean, they, they'd been deliver, deliberating over this for a while. And if you go into the if you go into the sessions with fifty five tracks, <laughs> there's a lot of whittling down to do. There are a lot of decisions to be made. Yeah, and so so the funny thing about this song too is I don't know if this is intentional or not, but the the melody of the you know never met a girl like you before is very similar to edwin collins girl like you which is popularized in the empire mm-hmm. records movie uh it's almost the yeah. same melody the lyrics are very similar so i don't know if this was like an earworm that kind of got in his head and he's kind of just remembering it you know and kind of like just injecting that memory into the song or if this is sort of an inside joke you know like i don't know maybe fiona's a huge empire records fan and loves edwin collins or something and he's kind of just like you know becoming that person for a second or it's an inside thing i don't know anyway so as soon as i heard the song that kind of stuck out to me so i don't know what the answer is there if it was intentional or not or whatever but it's very similar but it doesn't matter either because this is andrew and he's doing his thing and it's an andrew scott song like who gives a shit if it sounds if that one part sounds a little bit like this other song but whatever he's very raw you know i love the line melted me down to build me up this is the same guy Mm. from 1998 in sinking ships and he's emoting in the same way he's speaking to the same person and um you know relationships you know can be like well we change as people our lives change and uh, he's he's talking about here you know, the life-changing confidence that he's been given by this person. And he's being very real about that. Right. Um, and, and then you alluded to it uh, earlier, the part where they're talking about the kids are playing on their own towards the end, you know, and that's a place where, 
I long to be in my relationship where my kid is a little older and can kind of be a little bit more independent. And it's like, oh yeah, we're in a relationship. You know, I forgot about that for a few years while we had a little kid or whatever. And he just demanded oh, so much time. There you are. Yeah, oh, hey there. And I talk about that with my wife a lot, actually. Just a little bit of personal insight here for a second. Sorry, Sloan fans and the band. But uh, yeah, like, I mean, I talk to my wife all the time about, you know what, there'll be a time when we're kind of a couple again, you know, like where we're not just chasing around this little crazy guy <laughs> who is wonderful. Don't get me wrong, uh, Jesse, if you're listening to this in 20 years or whatever, uh, you know, floating in a cloud or something. But anyway, so, um, um, but anyway, getting back to the matter at hand, like I said, you know, that's a, that's a, like you said earlier, their kids are a little older here, you know, I think maybe a little more independent and he's reflecting on that time in their relationship. And, and I think that's a time in people's relationships when they have kids and they get a little bit older, when they kind of, they either rediscover each other or they kind of go through the motions. And I think a lot of people would rather rediscover each other and kind of have a rejuvenation in the relationship. And I hope listening to this, that's what happened. And I mean, they're still together. Yeah. So, hey, there you go. They're still going strong. And I mean, this is this is a testament to that that ideal love, right? I mean, the, the ideal love isn't uh, bliss and flowers and whatever for you know decades. There's there's ups and downs and there's feelings of vulnerability and there's jealousy and there's ignorance and there's all kinds of shit happening in a perfect relationship mm. and this is a great expression of that you know and i love the, the way that the music complements it it's not like it's not a ballad this isn't a ballad this is a love song that's built on fucking te- like feedback solos at the end <laughs> you know and it's it that guitar riff isn't really settled it's really like that last note isn't even that last, I think it's an F. That last F isn't even really in tune, and it's kind of wavering. So it's again, this is Andrew's musical style. This isn't like he's not a polished. He doesn't have a polished style. It's a, it's a, it's a piece of granite that's been broken open, right? Mm. For this is, I think, the reason for me why this is maybe one of the best love songs that Sloan has written because it's just it's genuine this is what love is about this isn't in many ways it's actually kind of a, like a pendant to i understand just taking it from a different perspective mm. so we're you know we're getting that sentiment from and these are guys that are, you know they're in their mid late mid to late 30s right now they have kids they're singing from a different place than they were when they were you know 25 yeah, kind of stepping away from the the content for just a second. I just want to make one more comment before we move on because it kind of plays into the next song. But I'm a huge fan of percussion, like maracas or shakers, tambourine, yeah. being played yeah. straight over like a fill. And that's happening a lot in this song too. Like, you know, like a fill that's yeah. kind of just like going forever and you're hearing like before it. I'm a huge fan of that. That's all over their music. But yeah, I just wanted to make a note because I loved I liked it in this particular song. And this song uh, flows into Chris Murphy, who who will be once again the uh, sandwich condiment. He will be the bridge uh, from that song from Andrew, you know, sort of touching mid-tempo rocker. You know, we're going to get to one of the greatest songs ever in just a second. And we got to just sort of build a musical bridge there. And Chris has got a little piece for everybody. Will I belong? <sighs> yeah, in in the movies style finger picking uh, by Andrew. You know, I'm gonna reference in the movies all the time because it's the best song ever. <laughs> and this is the this is the track where I really think like listen to how the drums are mic'd. Mm. Listen to how distant those drums are. Listen to that reverb. Listen to the subtlety of the drums. It's not like 
I'm again not a sound engineer, but listen to uh, listen to one chord to another versus never hear the end of it. Mm. One chord to another, the drums were basically recorded in a closet on a four track in your face, which is what they were going for. Uh, never hear the end of it. You have thirty different drum recording styles. <laughs> it's amazing. They just they have all the time on their hands that they need to achieve the recording aesthetic that they want to go for so they can move around the mics for hours and play with positioning and play with you know uh how they dampen the snare and whatever um you're the drummer here but this is the one thing that stands out here in the rhythm guitar how that dissolves into the mix but still sounds so cool and crunchy and obviously the like that bass sound that fuzz bass which you can really hear after um I wonder what I did to offend. Yeah. Right. It just sounds, that just sounds so cool. That's a new sound for Sloan. Yeah. And the music here, it really kind of sits in the front seat. Uh, the lyrics are very universal. Again, he's sort of talking about a concept that I think sure. anybody can relate to, which would be, you know, he's talking about school specifically in the song and being out of step, minor threat reverence, maybe. I don't know. Um, yeah. Nice. Yeah. But, um, and feeling out of step, you know, we get, you know, through our, throughout our lives, we go through these various phases, you know, where we're in this grade or that grade. And then once we're out of school, post-secondary or whatever, this job, that job, this relationship, that relationship with each new <laughs> chapter. And I'm going to start singing a bird song here, but, um, you kind of get it. You get you, like he says in the song, you get a different chance. You get another chance. My reputation gets another chance. He yeah. gets to start from, from yeah. square yeah. one again and kind of uh, reestablish yeah. himself after his, his name has been sullied as it were. And I like for me, when I hear the drums, I think of not a kid anymore because they've got that kind of like stomp in the, in the verse. They've got that in common. Um, and the songs I think are totally have nothing to do with each other, but just musically, there's another little something that is similar-ish to another song of Chris's anyway. And I definitely stole that idea and put it into one of the songs that that was for me in one of my bands, but who cares? To be fair, the song sounds unfinished, so it seems fair that you can finish it for them. Um, (laughs) Yeah. And that, that unfinished quality plays, plays into the, into the cards of this album altogether. And we have this great transition to ill-placed trust, Mm -hmm. even though there isn't anything musically similar happening between these tracks with a couple of exceptions, that climbing uh, background harmony that, that then gets into this garage bandy. Yeah. Uh, intro to Ill Place Trust, which is a great allusion to how this song emerged. So the the origin story, and like Keen Sloan fans will know this, that Ill Place Trust was 15 plus years in the making. So it was written and performed um, in 92, presumably while touring Smeared, and first made appearances on the set lists of the band in 92. So a good example of this, and a lot of you will have heard this, is the Sub Pop Vermonstrous Festival, which took place in October of 92 in Burlington, uh, Vermont. And there's a there's a bootleg that's been making the rounds on the internet for as long as I can remember about from this concert. And it's on there. And it's certainly got a grungified sound with that kind of soft verse, loud chorus quality and that the sort of wailing vocals happening and mm. there's even like chris has some multi-string bass strumming lines in the intro and the lyrical content here and this is again patrick parses down his lyrical content over the course of the years to his benefit so if you listen to the and again ill place trust makes an appearance on 
the twice removed box set. So if you listen to the twice removed version of Ill Place Trust and you can get a good idea of what these lyrics are like. As a background, it was recorded at 31 Clayton Park Drive in Halifax, which was, I think, Chris's parents' house right. um, at, at the time. Uh, I, <laughs> the outtake version on Twice Removed is really funny because I always feel as though it starts off as a loving spoonful song. Um, I know they wanted to make it less grungy to see if they can use it on Twice Removed, but um, for me, just that organ intro just makes it sound like... Did you ever have to make up your mind? <laughs> um, and then it gets more and more Eric's trippy as the song progresses with the drum loop and whatever. But to get back to the lyrics, um, there were lines in there originally like, every time I think of you, it seems a mountain is too high to climb. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's held together by spit and blood. Um, so like really heavy, almost juvenile stuff when you think to back to the types of lyrics that you were writing maybe as a 17 or 20 year old and then looking back as a late 30 year old it just it, that that seems like a, a decision that needs to be made to parse down those lyrics but that's sort of the genesis so story and i'm sure that it's been it was sitting on the shelf for for a number of years until this album came around and i love how you can see on the never see the end of it uh video series how you can see them just jamming over this idea and i'm sure that they just thought this is a great point to revive ill-placed trust so you can see like you can see patrick and chris chris on drums patrick is playing his sg jr that like iconic sloan guitar which has by the way if you ever get a chance to play 65 uh, 64 65 gibson sg jr which only has that one pickup it just sounds so good and you can get so many tones out of it anyway so he's using this um or you can hear them kind of getting into what, what's going to be the right tone for this song on the album they use that kind of garage band just guitar and drums part as the introduction to the song which i love and it's only i think whatever how many bars eight bars uh before like the real hi-fi version kicks right. in and then it's just like from 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 then on it's just like that is the, the stuff of rock legends as far as i'm <laughs> concerned this song is just it is such a well-rounded such a driving like in your face this is like for me if i were to if i were to describe what is patrick pentland's rock style i would play the male place trust yeah if i was making and i've made mixes for people in the past uh you know like accidentally with a girlfriend who doesn't or even know sloan like whoops gonna have to make you a compilation uh, this would be like a lead track it would be in there you know like for me this is top five patrick for sure and um yeah like you mentioned the riff had been around for a while i like seeing it in the making of the each of the making of clips by the way actually begins with this song so by the time the record came out yeah. i was very familiar with the riff and i remember seeing it at the cool house when they toured this record and it just being such a highlight of the show like fantastic live um yeah, yeah. <laughs> i love each time they go to the chorus that chris is playing the first half of it like up on the neck you know, like he's playing it kind of yeah. high, and then for the second round, it kind of it comes down again. Very cool. Um, yeah. I love the concept. I love the t the title. I love the idea. Um, and even just a couple songs back, it's interesting as they get towards get get to get through the lyrics. Um, Andrew just two songs ago actually said, you know, uh, I can feel it in love is all around, and. Patrick right. is now saying here, can you feel it? And I can feel it. 
Uh, Murph yeah. and he are going back and forth. Love the way the words kind of roll together. Very sound really well when they're sung. Um, I love the line, especially and it kind of, it kind of goes back to his, his line in flying high again, um, where he's very unique in, in the syncopation of his vocal. Like, um, how's it going? Flying high again. Where he goes, um, uh, some people think we're crazy. Again. And I just, I feel like there's a bit of a, that same spirit is here when he gets the, when, the, when he's going through, I think it's like the third verse and he, um, he, he says, can you feel it all around you? The paranoia that's been brought on by the sad truth. Like by the time you get to that part in the song, like Dude. this song is just knocking you out. It's so great. Um, yeah, I love Patty P spitting bars. He's killing it. The, I just love the way that it's sung. The lyrics just sound so great. I love in that. I love, obviously as you get towards the outro, uh, you know, Chris is by himself for a moment. Can you feel it? And the band just comes right in and he's up mm. high on the bass neck. Oh. And it's funny because earlier when we were talking about before the end of the race, where they're kind of doing the back and forth of ooh before the end of the race, yeah before the end of the race. I mentioned all by ourselves. Yeah, same thing. The turning and tearing, tearing and turning. Th- this is happening again now. And I, I love this little moment where uh, Chris and Patrick are answering each other, you know, can you feel it? And Patrick's like, I can feel it. Um, and then, and then on top, three things happening here. There's, yeah, there, there's, 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 can you feel it? I can feel it. Ill place, trust, ill place, yeah. trust in the back. The whole band's, I know. I love, it. I amazing. love hearing in the ill place, trust parts. You can really hear Andrew in there doing the background vocal, yeah. which I mean, is obviously there because I know that, a lot of the time, especially with these big gang vocals, they're recording it probably much in the way that it's going to be performed live. I mean, that sometimes isn't sometimes yeah. isn't the case, but uh, obviously when they play it live, Andrew's singing that part while Chris and Patrick are both singing the other part with you know with Jay, uh, you know, with Andrew and that little gang vocal. But um, yeah, love it, yeah. love, love, love hearing all of them singing together and at the end of the song here, so fantastic. It's a single idea that he draws out into whatever three and a half minutes of of of, of total excitement. Um, and it's about, and he wrote about this, I think, in the liner notes to the Twice Removed box that it's about frustration and anger. Mm. And that's, you know, you get that in this song, but you also get that. I love the, I love the line. The one thing that stuck out to me from the very beginning was when I closed my eyes, you're all that I see burned into my walking mind, walking away from me, yeah. which is about, yeah, that's about like, it's about love, but it's about, hating the person that she walks away from mm-hmm. you right and i love that dichotomy and i love how that just like how the, how he punches that line in there his voice is just so good his voice is amazing yeah. a great moment too he's, he's singing this in the higher register. yeah a great moment too the, the line you just mentioned that's been brought up or no uh what was the line you just said uh walking away from me and chris live usually joins him on that line a great moment live guys we need a whole episode on this <laughs> on this song um, but we don't have the time, unfortunately. We may have to edit it so that this it's, is like one of the episodes, just this chat about this track. That's right. But yeah, again, like I said, right. No Place I mean, Trust, top five Patrick for me, you know, probably top 10 Sloan songs for me. Uh, such a great one. One of like his, easily his best rocker, maybe in my opinion. I just, I love the story behind it. I love that they had it lying around for a while. They couldn't find something to do with it. And when they finally have the time to brood through things, in 2006 they make the best out of it and it sounds like an early 90s track that's been taken to 2006 um it might be my this might be my favorite patrick pentland Mm. song period no argument for me so we go from we go from ill place trust on this super high note 
super rollicking and we get taken down a little, little bit to um track nine on chris's solo album within the album live the life you're dreaming of which is which might be the most down key chris song that we've heard since life of a working girl right mm. so changing gears altogether i can't help but focus again here on Andrew's guitar work during the part B of the song where it kind of escalates a little bit. You know, lovely um, riff that's working up the neck. Again, reminiscent of uh, the riff in part B of In the Movies, but that's um, another episode altogether. The tone of that guitar, I'm assuming he's playing his Gretsch uh, country gentleman on this mm. one. It's. I'll let you get into the lyrics here because sure. I'm always distracted by what's happening in the guitars. Um, the one thing that pops out to me that I find really funny is when Patrick sings, oh, the humanity. <laughs> <laughs> and it just, I, I don't know. I'm not sure. It's a bit humorous. I know that it's not. it wasn't, it wasn't the intention, <laughs> but it... it it's also just Patrick just appearing all of a sudden and screaming. Oh, the <laughs> what's that? What's that? What's that? Oh, I was thinking of what's that movie? Oh, the humanity, but it's that, it's the uh, Zeppelin. It's the Hindenburg. Hindenburg yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Patrick's on the scene. <laughs> <laughs> reporting in you, you mentioned the country gentleman it's kind of funny looking at the cd book uh, you turn the page to the lyrics for live the life you're dreaming of and andrew is sitting right beneath the lyrics playing that guitar which is kind of funny there he is there he is which he doesn't pull out live anymore which i'm sad yeah. about because it's one of my favorite pieces we gotta of get a petition going Sloan yeah. Camp. nah yeah anyways yeah i can help you work in love that's what this song is about yeah again chris is you know, kind of opening himself up here, but he's also touching on something that's, that I think a human feeling like he's talking, he's talking to kind of everybody, something that everybody can kind of agree with and understand. Um, in, I, I, I placed this song, you know, right there next to fading into obscurity and so far so good. And even fly Francisco from the anyway gang album. Um, I yeah, feel sure. like yeah. in these songs, he's kind of singing to his kids a little, you know, like I don't know again, wh- whether he is a dad yet at this point, but he's definitely going to be soon. Not yet. And, uh, yeah. I feel like he's maybe this is his dad's voice ringing in his head or, you know, I I don't know, but he definitely has a fatherly tone and there's some fatherly advice going on in these songs. And this song is uh, no exception. Um, But yeah, I love it. And uh, you know, you can really lean on Chris for advice, for humor, you know, and great pop music. So great track. Uh, Again, totally, from the tonality i love what's happening here and this i love when andrew plays guitar on chris tracks and you know one of my i have i've I've been maintaining a list of all of chris's songs and the songs on which i believe andrew's playing guitar so one of these days i'm going to send chris that list and get him to shoot down all of my assumptions about the music. But, <laughs> um, it, it, it adds, it adds this wonderful quality to the music. Um, it's not one dimensional and, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, Andrew is just the fucking coolest guy on the planet and he's <laughs> making a big appearance now in uh, one of the highlights for me on this album, um, living with the masses, which is 
I love the story up. behind this. And I love also just quickly to and say anybody, the, the double use of the word live with both of these songs. We've got yeah. one going into the live and then into living. I will say one more little button yeah, right, on yeah. the Chris song before we get into Andrew. But yeah, I just love the sincerity of Chris. I just love his vocal here. It's very sincere. He's singing right to you. Uh, the listener, but I mean, I, even though I kind of think he's maybe singing to his future kids or whatever, but, but like you said, yeah, sure. maybe I can make it happen. I can help you work in love relationship goals. So <laughs> we get to living, living, living with the masses and, um, <laughs> a story that's been exposed very well in the, uh, never see the end of it video, uh, compilation, but you know, how many, how many of us have had those neighbors before? How many of us, and especially, you know, you're, you're a dad now and I'm a, I'm a dad and we have little kids and you know, how pissed off do you get when somebody's next door hammering on the walls mm. or, you know, cutting with a table saw and you can just like, this is where we've swung from the, um, love is all around Andrew back to this like raging <laughs> you people, Andrew, um, and uh, it's uh, it's a, for, in many ways a preview of Emergency Nine One One, which yeah. is um, I believe oh, yep. based off of yeah I believe I believe it's based off of um, Andrew's son getting pissed off because fire trucks were driving up and down the street all the time and it was too loud. Mm. So in this case, it's Andrew just getting pissed off for whatever reason. A, you know, a little bit of irony in there considering Andrew's a drummer and probably had a set in his living room <laughs> at this point in time, but I'll look at he would, he would, he would um, be, he would be, you know, tasteful enough to, yeah, consider enough to not be, you know, going crazy. Um, I love, I love, I, I just love the story behind this. I love the lyric, like the Bombay doors are oh, opening. Great. As you mentioned, this as well. The gang, the gang vocals and the entire band just like yelling, the Bombay is soon they this will is, be falling. This is suburban on. Andrew Scott. Yeah. It, it's a suburban suburbia Andrew. And, uh, you know, the, the chord voicings, if you listen to them closely there, it's, it, it sounds like a straightforward chord pattern, like with an E and a, and an F sharp and an, and a B and an A, but it, there, the F sharp is taken then down. I think that they, they, he drops the F sharp to, to, to an E for parts. And then he drops on the B, um, the, the, the B itself to an A. So it's got this really kind of interesting texture happening and andrew's chord voicings are just out of this world um you know this isn't necessarily an in-your-face example of that but i love what's happening this song is hilarious and i love in the making of video kevin asks andrew is there a neighbor i think andrew's oh is there ever ever?" it's so great and i'm sure he's got that loud neighbor like we all do there's a guy in my neighborhood who always like parks his big bike outside of tim hortons and blasts his radio like and he's hitting like he's playing like (laughs) Elton John and the Eagles, like at top volume, like the whole fucking neighborhood can hear it. And we've all got kids that are sleeping. I'm, I'm definitely that dad who's like, you know, gritting his teeth. And, you know, I've, I've maybe gone out on my porch a couple times and maybe wagged my finger a little, but you know, I'm, I'm certainly not, I don't feel like I need to be that confrontational. And I don't picture Andrew necessarily being that confrontational. If he is God, I want to hear that story. Jesus, you know, if him saying this to the fucking neighbor, the lyrics of this song, I'm more so just think it's him stewing and, and writing it and singing yeah. it and hoping that the fucking neighbor hears it or, or something, but it's so funny. Mabel, you, maybe you should cut in the dark with a table saw, you know, just giving the guy some fucking advice, you know, stick it up your yeah. ass idiot. Oh my God. 
and then yeah. and then on top of that, he's calling in the cavalry. You know, like he, he's painted he's yeah. painted this person's house with the Desert Storm laser, and soon they will be falling <laughs> all around. The, another great bit in the video where all of the guys are singing the track. They're all singing the backup, and you just I love the look on Jay's face when they're all singing Bombay doors are opening, and soon they will be falling all around. <laughs> so great! The, it's so absurd and so funny. <laughs> It is just, and, and we talked about this in the in the introductory episode. It is one song with HFX and SHC, mm-hmm. and I love watching this live. I love when they get to um, living with the masses yeah. live, which I, you know this song hasn't unfortunately been paired with with its pairing on the album live for a while, I believe. But I want to see it again so badly because that that escalation from living with the masses to hfx and shc uh and watching that live is just so much fun and the, you know you talked about this as well andrew stays on stage for hfx and shc yeah. and does both um both rhythm guitar and backing vocals for that track so if you feel comfortable let's dive these into two in one. a row are a fucking one two knockout punch man rocky balboa is knocking somebody out with these two it's fantastic i love it and we're, like this, this, this comes out of like totally out of left field. Are you like <laughs> listening and you've got, I don't know, um, it, it, you know, live the life you're dreaming of. Then all of a sudden we have this, like, what the fuck is a hardcore song doing in 2007 on a slow album? It's the best. And we're like a song away from, I know you, you know what I mean? Like we're yeah. about to get into like super personal, super romantic Andrew. Uh, we're going to have a bridge song yeah. obviously from Chris, but, um, yeah, I love when, when, when living with the masses ends and it's just like, and like I said, in the, in the, in the preamble episode, the, the little bit of drumming that goes on previous to the song actually counting in for me, I don't think that's a mistake. I think it's like Chris kind of just practicing or just kind of warming himself up, getting himself loose. Hmm. Um, like, having yeah. played drums myself like there i've played some fast songs certainly i don't think anything this fast but um it's always a good idea to kind of warm up get limber warm your hands up warm your extremities up and get ready to fucking roll because he's gonna knock this one out of the park so i like that little moment of him kind of psyching himself up and getting excited and then he just fucking kicks the whole band in fantastic my my favorite my favorite thing about seeing this live and we talked about this is how over the course of 2006 and 2007 when they were touring this they just decided to take it faster and faster and faster Mm -hmm. and chris is obviously right into it and jay is just sort of like nonchalantly standing there with the bass (laughs) like all right i can go faster whatever yeah it's so funny to think i mean jay to me is like the polar opposite of like the punk guy or whatever and but but this song begins with that really rocking rocking what am i talking about like a crazy punk bass line and that's that's jay that's jay playing that live i love it love it it's and the, 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 it's an homage to um their musical past uh chris obviously being a big hardcore guy in the 80s patrick more into like pure punk yeah, music ripping convulsions and, and, and even you know this idea of hfx nshc halifax nova scotia hardcore and, and even talking about i remember all these years ago when our punk rock was none of their business but it's still none of your mm-hmm. business it's probably something they wanted to do for a long time. I'm thinking they just decided you know, this is uh, this is something that that worked in their favor in 2006. Once they have all this real estate on this album, totally. And 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 as a little sort of tip of the hat, Patrick is actually on the liners of the album in the in the photos. He's actually wearing his Convulsions shirt. 
uh, which is a kind of fun Good little point. moment there. I like that. Um, but yeah, this song is, Good I point. mean, I've, I would have to, I have to read the lyrics and know what the hell they're saying. It goes by so quickly and the lyrics are great. Uh, you know, like Patrick's kind of taking a step back in time um, as the other guys have done in certain songs. Uh, Jay, especially remembering long ago and Andrew remembering the beginning of his relationship and so on. So Patrick's kind of going back to that time in the eighties when he was a part of that scene and, you know, the spirit of what, you know, inspired those songs and that music. And maybe he's specifically singing about the convulsions period. Who knows? Um, but what right. a great chorus, new beat generation. Again, Patrick coming in with lyrics that are just super relatable, easy to digest and something that just sounds great when sung. you know, I don't know what new beat generation means necessarily, but, um, well, it's so the beat generation was the generation of of writers and poets in the 1930s through whatever 50s 60s that were very much outcast from the rest of sure. society because of their views on society, and a lot of them were homosexual and um, you know very kind of out there uh, experimenting with drugs. Uh, so the idea of the new beat generation is, um, you know, we're on the, we're the outcasts. We're on the outside here. We're different. Like listen to think about straight edge, hardcore music in the eighties and how different it was from what was happening in the rest of like hair metal and everything. Uh, so that I think is, is, is what, is what Patrick is referring to here. Although, um, for those who weren't in the know in 2006 about Jack Kerouac and, Ferlinghetti and you know Allen Ginsberg, uh, they would have interpreted that lyric as newbie generation. <laughs> I know that there was a, a sort of a, a misheard lyric of uh, newbie generation, which I find really funny um, for for the gaming fans out there. <laughs> awesome. But uh, I love, uh, we've talked about Patrick's vocal as well uh, in previous songs, and he's backing himself up here. And especially, I love the moment when it kind of breaks into the, goes into the breakdown again. And he goes, uh, generation, he just holds his voice out. And it's, it's like, I think there's at least mm-hmm. two Patrick's in there. He sounds so great doing his own super voice yeah. and I oh, just love the vocal so much. And like all great pop, pop, pop songs, it's over in like a minute. It's done. It's over before it it's even done. started. And uh, I love its, its appearance here. It, uh, you know, I, I love the punk stuff that they do. They've had, they've got that little uh, seven inch, the Jenny seven inch, which has got uh, uh, one of Chris's sort of punk songs from the past. And I don't know what I think Jenny was a spent song. Does that sound right? Yeah, I think it's written about Jennifer right. Pierce. That's my presumption. Yeah, I'm blanking on it's, what uh, band he was in specifically when that song was perhaps written. It would have been. Sp- Bent okay. in the late eighties, yeah. yeah, or or aware. It might have might have still been aware, <laughs> um, but yeah. I mean, we're we're looking. You know, within five years, as a Sloan fan, you're going to be getting a seven inch hardcore seven inch, as well as an, a digital EP of all kinds of amazing hardcore right. covers. Yeah, these guys can do it all, man. In that spirit, if you think you know Chris Murphy, you don't. Um, which is the next track, and for me, I'm, I'm you know I'll let you take the floor on this one, but. Andrew's guitar work for me is this entire song. Mm. <laughs> Andrew's like, again, lyrical content, really simple. Uh, I like how Chris curses in this song as well. It's not, you know, we don't hear a lot of curse words across the Sloan catalog, but I do know shit about some things. <laughs> and, uh, but I love Andrew's guitar work on this song. The riffs in that right channel over the course of the song are just so yeah. good. The tone is just so good. Uh, the Latin, like the, how he, how he half bends that last note when the song is over and just lets it descend into this sort of almost too sharp 
note to to end the song it just sounds it's like it sounds as though it's played through through like a vox ac 15 or something i'm not sure what they have in the studio it might just be digital effects but like the guitar work on this song makes the song for me yeah it, this is sort of a, a writing exercise for me like he's sort of you know, using the people think they know me, but they don't. And then kind of just changing the lyrics up every time he says that line to say something different as opposed to just repeating the same line again. So it's like a, it's a cool writing exercise. Um, it, it's, it's, you know, I don't want to say poetic in the traditional sense, but um, there's wordplay going on here for sure. Um, and I think there's a similarity in a weird way to the song that he did on the anyway gang album, uh, which is called, I'm just that good. It's interesting, the dichotomy yeah. of the two, people think they know me, but they don't. He's sort of kind of keeping people at an arm's length, you know, perhaps whether they are, you know, fans of the band or people he knows personally, you know, you have this misconception of who he is and, but you don't really know the real Chris, you know, and maybe he would maybe argue that that's a good thing, you know, keep the facade alive as he's alluding to and i'm just that good you know and in that song he's he's kind of yeah. letting the curtain down a little bit more and saying you know essentially <laughs> you know uh, there are a lot of bells and whistles going on, uh, on along here and as he gets to the end of the song he kind of admits that you know this is me just making letting you think that or giving you the impression that i'm just that good you know I'd, i would hope that my right. ruse was right. successful the smoke screen yeah and i love i love the way that the the there are two voices singing the song there's chris singing the song and there's andrew singing the song with his fingers right it's uh it's uh there it's a duet in many ways between chris singing and that constant lead guitar riff in the right channel and it complements that 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 vibe really well maybe it's chris getting some inspiration from andrew in terms of those this is this has a little bit of middle finger in it as well so yeah with this song i really feel like it, it could almost be like an Andrew song instrumentally. Anyway, I mean, it's obviously him on guitar. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of let's, Andrew, let's dive in. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> we talked about that, that duo of Andrew love songs on this album. Um, the first one, uh, love is all around, not necessarily a ballad per se. The second one, I know you, which is the next track on this album. I very much feel uh, moves towards ballad territory, but there's a huge part B uh, on this song, which I'll dive into detail about in a minute. In my eyes, this is the best Sloan love song. There's just so much happening here. It's so poetic, musically very interesting, but I think whereby Chris's songs on this album kind of try to put a lot of the of, of the dense musical stuff into the background. Um, this is the one Andrew track on the album where the music kind of plays a backseat. One interesting th- thing to note though, it's in drop D, uh, which adds that kind of brooding atmosphere to the song, but also it allows him to have a, a, a bass drone throughout the entire song um and one thing that andrew's guitar style for me is renowned for is his ability to take different chord voicings in this case d uh and work up and down the neck and make it sound really interesting and intricate so we see this on in the movies uh and we hear it here on i know you as well so we start off with one of the interesting aspects here is this is a reappearance of the Rhodes electric piano Mm. uh for i believe the first time since I might be, might be wrong on this. I believe this is the first time since Between the Bridges that the Rhodes is used on a record. Uh, so it's making a cameo. 
there's a nice little double entendre for um, for for a drummer in this song. You know, when it can be said that I'm not in time with what's in front of me, that's you know <laughs> a pretty obvious reference to uh, to to being a drummer in general. Shout out to the timing champ. And uh, and then he goes into some fairly obvious references about his meeting you know the, the way the, the way he met his wife fiona back then in halifax he's mm-hmm. talking about a stormy stormy night off shibakto head which is the end land's end as it were at the end of, of halifax harbor and uh I, i'm just like the, the one thing that i really want to focus here on is that middle part so robert if you'll allow me and if, you, if you're patient enough with me i'd love to just read the lyrics to that b part of i know you do it man so this is all taking place as i said over uh, a finger-picked guitar and this sort of droning low d string so again in the movie style d chord finger picking but this is one of the most poetic intertwining and for me beautiful lyric sessions of any sloan song and i'll just i'm going to read it if i never considered a little drop in the pressure that defines me as human i try not to let it go you never tell by the pick of the litter it keeps coming back in the tides and swells and there's nothing to hold it at bay i figured you knew that who stood up was there anybody out there i never thought to ask you maybe time passed knowing that i didn't care Wishing for some other chances, there wasn't time to review all the circumstances and all the particular sounds converging around us. And then The Sky's Gone Out was on a record player in the middle of the city on a song that I never enjoy until I got older. So you carry it up to the finish, and that version of yourself began to diminish, and nobody saw it go down, and I thought I knew you. Sorry, I'm hearkening back to my my own writing days with reading that in in, in a spoken word kind of way, and I, you know I don't want to sound pretentious or anything, but no, I mean this man is just a fucking artistic genius, right? Those lines they have such atmosphere and they're so descriptive, but they're also deceptive, right? They seem to mean so much, but there are only two people in the world who know the meaning of those lines. Maximum, right? Andrew knows the meaning of those lines, and Fiona knows the meaning of those lines, right? And you can speculate over this, but the texture and what's happening there, uh, the wordplay, it's little tiny reference to a Bauhaus album with this guy's gone out, but like otherwise, it's just, it's so abstract, but so beautiful at the same time, right? And and the question is begged, you know, is he, what were the lyrics written first or, you know, were the lyrics written with the musical idea and the melody? Like, I think when you read it, as you're reading it there, you, there's no way on earth you would think, oh yeah, there's going to be an easy way to, to weave that into a song. Like, you know, whereas with some songs on this record, the, the, the words are very rolling and they, they sound well when sung and 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 i'm not saying that that's not the case here because they sound amazing as he sings them but if you were to just read the lyrics you would think how is somebody gonna jackhammer that into a song like you know they don't exactly sound like the most musical words you know to sing but when he sings it it works it's so perfect you know totally that line nobody saw it go down when he adds that one backing vocal and then you get that little guitar riff in stereo in both audio channels just sends shivers down my spine every time i'm not sure why yeah this is another great one where he's hearkening back to early relationship memory and it's just like yeah we talk about hashtag relationship goals you know i love the idea of looking back and appreciating and being in a relationship with somebody for a long time and having those memories of where it began and being able to verbalize it and 
essentially capture it in time. You know, like it, I'm not, I'm not the kind of person to keep a journal. I've never really kept one. Actually, I have a live journal. It's, it's still online. So, you know, if people are so inclined, you can Google and find it and it goes back to 2005 and it's very embarrassing. But, um, but you know, for people who don't journal, I mean, I don't, it's not something I do normally. It's, it's, it's something to be said for remembering the specific feelings you had at a certain time. Cause we always kind of look back at the past with rose tinted glasses. And, mm. um, I love the idea that he's taken this memory and cemented it in time in a song. And it's, it's almost like there's like a, a password on the song and the password is being yeah. one of the two people who was involved. He's, he's putting these lyrics out there for everybody to read, but it's not for everybody necessarily. And once again, another yeah. example of, you know, very poetic sounding lyrics on the record and yeah, just fantastic. I just a quick little uh, funny little story that I'll just say quickly about the, that he's speaking about a very specific place in the world too, uh, like near Duncan's Cove there, um, which I only know because I Googled it. I didn't, I've never lived there like you did, but anyway, I was working at a factory when this record came out and, and I played the record over the PA and some random office person came out and goes, did that guy just say Chipacto head? Like you never hear that in a song, you know, like what the hell? Anyway, so it's a funny little memory. Taking it back to the to the core of this song, and you you mentioned it, you know, really, there's a password over the lyrics. You don't have to know exactly what he's singing about to love the lyrics, and I, I, that's why I wanted to point out that B part and how it's written. But if you listen closely, to me, this song is about it's about versions of yourself. So it's not you. It wasn't you. He wasn't me. It was a version of our sh- of ourselves shaped by everybody else. Hmm. And you go through life and, you know, if you look back at your youth or if you look back at your early adulthood, you're a different person in many ways than you are now, but it's a version of yourself and you're going to be different in 20 years time. And Andrew Scott does this musically as well. And he, he changes his style quite frequently and he, he changes the, you know, he's a painter and painters notoriously go through periods in which they paint in different styles. And if you look at we mentioned uh, the 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 trading card um, that Universal put out for between the bridges, and when they had to list their favorite bands um, and and their favorite colors and stuff, and Andrew was like, "Oh yeah, my favorite band is Can, and my favorite color is Sharkskin Gray." You know, that's not the Andrew. That wouldn't be his answer right now. I'm thinking. I think Andrew's answer would be completely different now. But you're a version of yourself in 1999, right? So mm-hmm. the the love song is based. For, for me on this core concept of look at how we were back then and we came together and despite all odds we stayed together you know everybody else was shaping how we were back then and we you know we fucking hightailed it at halifax and and and, and went to toronto pretty quickly I, I'm, I'm never going to commit to looking carefully back at things that i might have missed when i left halifax with you you know the places that i didn't go there are so many people that i'll never know Right, so I'm not going to look back in anger, as it were. I'm not going to look back in, you know, uh, in sadness. Uh, it, it ends on a nice high note in that regard. And drawing it back to what I was speaking about before, there's still kind of that little tiny element of, ah, oh, you people, right? There's so many people I'll never know, but I don't give a fuck. I have you. Yeah. I love it. And, 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 and another universal thought, I mean, you know, for everybody there, there's, there's, everybody's got a song or songs that you never really enjoyed until you got older. That's true for me. You know, like I didn't, I never got into can until I was in my thirties. So there you go. <laughs> yeah. I'd love to know what Bauhaus uh, song that is on this yeah. guy's gone out. 
we'll have to maybe we'll seek some confirmation at some point but yeah i love the song in general it's just fantastic we're here all the way at the end of the of the record almost and you know to have this kind of quality this late in the record i mean we're gonna end we're gonna end the record with my favorite song just fyi but um yeah yeah, i love that this quality is still present here only this band could pull this off i love the way that it kind of goes upbeat and becomes jubilant i love the chords the tone the feel Uh, i was saying in the preamble episode how i've been listening to commonwealth a lot recently and just really soaking in 48 portraits because i feel like you need 48 listens of that fucking song to just if you find something new every time you listen to it and it's just like you said a painting of a song and this song has that in common as well just great little transitions and 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 again andrew and the band doing this seemingly effortlessly it feels so natural the way the song kind of transitions from tempo and just beautiful. Perfect. 10 out of 10 song for Andrew, for sure. And we have a, we have a, an actual break between tracks here before we move into last time in love, Mm. um, which you've, you've talked to quite astutely, uh, in the introductory episode. I'll I'll let you carry, carry on with that track. Sure. Well, I was, uh, Aaron Pinto, our guest from episode three wanted to just put his two cents in regarding last time in love. His quote is this song is top five Sloan for me, McCartney bounce and baseline with a Lennon vocal and hooks playing and self deprecating, but endearing the one, two punch of that. And it's not the end of the world sums up the entire spectrum of love better than entire books on the subject. Well said, my friend. Uh, you know, this is the guy who wrote the Pot Matters article, and it shows. Uh, I couldn't agree yeah. more. Yeah, there's there's a, there's a, there's an obvious reference to Penny Lane at the end. If you listen to the last note of Penny Lane, that little piano hit, mm. um, when when Chris climbs up to the falsetto with again, and then hits the piano at the end, the little reverb mm. piano. It's a little that's a that's a McCartney moment right there. Very beautiful. Yeah, love it. Yeah, I mean, you, you've you've spoken about the. Uh, about the thought behind this song, about that feeling of insecurity when, when starting a new relationship, you know, it's excitement, um, on the one hand, and, you know, you, you, you always hope that it's going to be the last time that you'll have to fall in love with somebody, but you're going to miss that feeling because that feeling is just pure hormones, right? You're just, it's (laughs) adrenaline and endorphins and whatever. And it's, it's addictive. Mm. I I love the lyrics here. uh, And I've touched on that previously, but yeah, the, the idea of being suddenly scared, you know, I think this is something that a lot of people, guys and girls alike feel that sense of that enjoyment of falling in love and having those sort of butterflies with somebody paired with the, the idea that of, well, the, the immediate concern of, well, if this is it and this is forever, I'll never get to enjoy that again. And the sort of sacrifice when you have a long and meaningful relationship is that it's true. You might not feel those same butterflies again, but, and I can say this for myself for sure, as you go through your relationship, those moments will happen again. And I think that the, the, the possibility of re-falling in love with your mate, you know, that person who you see every day and have been with for so long you know, there's magic in, in, in a relationship that is done correctly. And when two people are really just meant for each other, really matched well, uh, and I don't mean that meant meant for each other in the sort of cosmic way, because, because relationships are fucking hard and a relationship that you have for a long time, whether it's with your significant other or like these guys in a band that's been around for 30 plus years, you know, if, if anything can be said, these guys are good at, you know, maintaining relationships or at the very least knowing when, 
elements of a relationship need to end or when a certain relationship needs to end. Uh, and Chris is just all over that topic here. Um, you know, yeah. but again, like I was going to say, you know, that, that we're going to, we're going to miss out on those initial butterflies, but we're going to have a spark again in the future. And, um, he's kind of likened fading into obscurity where he's sort of referencing where he is comfortable in this new place that he's in. So he is here as well in his relationship status, you know, like I'm, yeah. I'm not going to experience these highs that I've had in the past or, or that general first high you have, but I couldn't be happier. I'm, I'm so settled and hearing this song. I, I remember the first time I heard it and, and subsequent times, I just feel so happy for him, you know, because yeah. he's in a place that certainly I wasn't at the time when I first heard it and thankfully am now in a place that I think a listener, anybody who's lovelorn or has had their heart broken, this is such an, an ideal, an idealized place to be. And, uh, you know, it's a gift. It's lovely. And all the more interesting that the album transitions from last time in love to it's not the end of the world, isn't it? Because, mm. you know, you touched upon this in the introduction, but it's not the end of the world as a it's almost the reverse sentiment. It's, it's, the, it's the feeling at the end of an unsuccessful relationship. Mm. So again, is this a Feist reference? Maybe, could be. I'm gonna it just also be an abstract idea. I've got some weird inside baseball that it is a Feist reference, which I'll get to in a sec. But I just want to say, I love the lyrics always falling with this feeling's new. Um, it's just sort of a very cute line. He says, deja vu. You know, clearly yeah. he's known as significant other for a while. She's in the feels good. Do it video like five years earlier. Sure. So she's around. Um, and so it's, so it's, in, I, I like that sort of, I love the lyrics in that way. And, and obviously we as fans and, and us as hardcore fans for sure are just aware of who their significant others are. I guess maybe you see them on TV or they're thanked in the liner notes or whatever. Um, so I don't mean to get so personal with all of these songs and stuff, but you know, they, they've been somewhat transparent in a way in their yeah. public life about who they're with. So that's where I feel kind of comfortable chatting about it. But um, just in terms of the musicality of the song, the beat I really love. And it's almost, I don't know if this is intentional or not. It's, 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 a, it's a beat that we don't really, I don't think we've really heard from the band. For me, it's kind of a slowed way down Detroit Rock City beat. That, you know, that's sort of where I hear it going and or at least hear it coming from if i were to play it that would be my point of reference but um it's a good point anyway he's he's essentially saying you know i, w I wouldn't have it any other way the way that this relationship's gone you know something that like i said there's something to be said for being in a relationship for a long time and this is an appreciation of getting to that point and uh you know understanding that there will be you know higher highs and lower lows in the future lower lows in the future but that's what life is about and that's what love is about and speaking of higher highs, we have the the key change at the end of the song. So, mm. you know, another reference to Penny Lane, it climbs up a step, which gives it more a, a more optimistic feeling moving towards the end of the song. So you you finish the song feeling optimistic about this new relationship, especially when you know it the 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 final note that you're hearing is that piano hit boom with a little Penny Lane reference right there. Um, so you're you know you got a really interesting dichotomy between the finish finish of this song and then what we're hearing in the next track mm. right is not the end of the world it's a lonely lonesome winter tune mm. there's hardly anything happening here in terms of instrumentation there is it's it if you listen to this track in a car and i, I don't have a car but i was driving recently in germany and and listening to never hear the end of it and you couldn't even hear it because it, it it's it's just it's mastered so quietly 
So you really have to have your headphones on to appreciate this song. Listen to the backing vocals. Very, very Beatlesque. Mm-hmm. Very Beatlesque. In fact, there's a couple of Beatles references here. I like the uh, the little guitar solo. It's not even a solo. It's a riff in the right channel with the tremolo on it, which, you know, tremolo is a sound of the early 60s, reminds me, funnily enough, of the instrumental track that's playing during that you know lonely ringo scene in hard day's night when ringo was actually just hung over as fuck (laughs) and they just wanted to get shots of him walking around Mm. um but you know what i'm talking about that little little guitar yeah so um lyrically i'll I'll let you dive into this and we've talked about the the possibility of this being a feist song yeah to kind of keep it light for a second here uh not that i'm gonna get super dark or whatever but there's a great video that i was watching recently i've been like i said in previous episodes i've been transferring a lot of my old vhs tapes to digital and posting them online and stuff so look for those guys but um an interview with chris and patrick in i want to say like 98 at some point right after navy blues came out and they're there with their moms actually i think they're in halifax which would make sense and um yeah, yeah this is like 98 and chris is kind of giving his mom a hard time about how she was maybe not necessarily super supportive of his musical career early on and sort of saying like well you know you're not exactly segovia you know on the guitar <laughs> but here but anybody who doesn't know that's a classical guitar player like he's you know just famously yeah. one of the best guitarists of all time very tasteful and just you know incredible talent um and uh but i mean so the first one so when i'm i obviously didn't think about that when i first heard the song but just in more recent weeks listening to it again i thought here he is i mean he 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 isn't segovia but he is as close as he could be or he's as close as he could get and just this beautiful guitar so pretty i love Mm -hmm. the picking and it's just musically just absolutely gorgeous it's got a bit of a here like the the backing vocals for me are here there and everywhere if you listen to that 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 rising those rising three-part harmonies in here there and everywhere that that's pretty much taken one-to-one and 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 chucked into this song but he does it and i'm I'm, i'd love to know who's doing the backing vocals here i'm thinking it's probably chris alone miking it three times you know correct me if i'm wrong chris if you're listening but well executed he doesn't have time to listen to this show um anyway back to the to the song we you know, in, in our lives, you know, in, in a perfect, in a perfect world, in a perfect situation, you're in a relationship, you know, I mean, perfect situation. I think a lot of people idealize the idea of like falling in love with their high school sweetheart and that relationship going on forever. And that happens for some people and for other people's, it doesn't. And, you know, people I, you know, you'd, you'd idealize the idea of if you are going to have multiple relationships to have one, you wrap up that relationship, your heart is mended, you grow, you learn from the situation, and then you move, you know, headlong into a new relationship. That's not always how it goes, obviously. And, you know, this is for me too. I can, I can, I'm speaking about myself here and perhaps Chris is letting us in the door, you know, to his personal experience as well. But he's obviously starting a new relationship and are those ties to the previous relationship totally severed? I don't mean like in a, in a cheating sense, but I mean like, you know, yeah. emotionally, because we, because, because emotional baggage is hard to just check at the door of a new relationship. It's tough, you know? And so, um, so I had originally talked about in the preamble, preamble about these songs being backwards, but they are sequenced here in this order 
And, you know, I maybe perhaps I'm reading too much into it, but, you know, he's talking about the, he's recognizing in the last song that this is his last time in love. He knows where he's, Mm -hmm. what his trajectory is relationship wise. And then the next song is him recognizing that, you know, I've still got this emotional stuff going on, or at least some kind of connection to somebody. And, um, I think about, you know, John Cusack and high fidelity and getting the advice from Bruce Springsteen where Bruce talks about, you know, you know, connect with your ex, you know, it'd be good to kind of give him the old, you know, see it, you know, take it easy, see on down the road, the, you know, goodbye, good luck, whatever. Thanks for all the fish, whatever. And, um, perhaps that's what's going on here. And my sort of anecdote is, and I'll try to keep this brief in 99 or 98. I can't remember. I saw by, by divine right live. And I was like, Oh my God, who is that guitar player? Super cute. And I ended up seeing her at humble and Fred fest in Toronto in like 99, 2000s. This is before she's feist Leslie feist of by divine right fame. And she was on, I think the only album she was on by them was bless this mess. I could be wrong, Um, but she's in the video for come for a ride. If you've never seen that, it's a great song. And I, so I saw her at humble and Fred fest and just there weren't a ton of people around in the thrush hermit were playing that day and i was wearing a thrush hermit t-shirt and she was like oh awesome shirt dude or something like that and i kind of chatted her up and um i was talking i think at the time her monarch monarch album was out and so she was directing me where to purchase it or whatever and she gave me her email and stuff and you know it'd be fun to like chat about blah 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 thrush hermit fandom and we talked about being fans of like east coast music and sloan of course and stuff mm-hmm. and so i did email her a few times and i think in one of the emails i may have admitted that i kind of had a bit of a crush on her of course not expecting this <laughs> to go anywhere but and she was very nice and wrote me back something like you know appreciate the crush it'll keep me from curling up into a ball or something like that And Mm -hmm. so when I heard Chris say into a ball, you have curled, I was like, huh, is this something that she has maybe said more than once? Like just in her common parlance, this is just sort of a term she uses, you know, you know, not frequently, but sometimes anyway, so when I heard, as soon as I heard that line, I was like, huh? And like, obviously I know that he's been in this relationship with her previously. So is this a sort of verbal little nod to that? I don't know, you know, but I mean, those are the only two times in my life I've heard, you know, into a ball I have curled or curling into a ball or whatever. Um, uh-huh. But anyway. Okay. So that's my the little other in- possibility, Rob. That's- the other possibility is she forwarded Chris the email. <laughs> she knew I was a big fan and she's like, check out this loser. It's totally possible. It's totally possible. And I haven't talked to her since. Yeah. Obviously like within a year or two she after that, big. Yeah, yeah, a couple of years later, she was like, the world's darling or whatever. And then she was in a Muppet movie yeah. for crying out loud. But, yeah, uh, yeah. Anyway. So just a beautiful heart wrenching Chris song, perhaps his most heart wrenching, you know, um, I'll, sure. I'll yeah. always be fond of you. Beautiful. Um, yeah, and, but it ends on, a, you know, it ends on a friendly note, right? I mean, even, even there it's like, you can, I don't, I don't mind when you call, we can talk about our brief time in the sun. And you know, I think that there is no, hard feelings between these two great musicians. And and that's a, that's a great place to be. That's such an ideal place to be after a relationship is to have that, to being amicable and being able to maintain, maintain a friendship, you know, awesome. Um, and this song ends. And like I've said previously, that some of these songs sort of transition into each other by not resolving this song resolves into light years. 
it does feel very uplifting after the previous track, even though it's not necessarily a topic that is overtly rosy or positive, right? I mean, if you listen to the, the lyrical content, Jay's talking about addiction being sweet, and addiction in this case, possibly to a girl or to a relationship. Uh, still, I'd like to come when you call. Like, it, maybe maybe Jay's on call with a certain person. You know, so ly- lyrically, it's a, a very impressionistic song. Mm. Thank you for that word, Rob. Uh, you're getting little. It's like you're, you've opened your eyes for two seconds, and you can see, you know, the the haystacks at uh, Givani or whatever. And uh, instrumentally highlighting that um, a very characteristic J piano style, mm. single bass note, chords in the right hand. What I do love about this track more than anything else is that ethereal, distant guitar solo, where it might it sounds as though he's almost picking like thirty second notes that aren't even being picked up by the by by the microphone. It's just it's so beautiful. Um, and one you know thing, a, 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 an acquaintance, a Sloan friend of mine, Ruhi. If you're if you're listening to this, I'm sure you're not, but um, she got friendly with Jay in Toronto in, in the two thousands. And he came to learn that this was her favorite song, and she got to then go on stage with them in Buffalo once and perform this live. Wow! And she didn't even know that this was going to happen. They surprised her with this, and I don't. I don't think they'd ever performed it live before then, and I'm not sure that they've performed it live since. So the only live performance of this song might be through, um, through through the voice of Ruhi on on, on stage, and this might have been 2007 or 2008. So uh, immensely jealous of that um, <laughs> future guest. <laughs> yeah, that, totally. Let's get her on. Uh, great musician, amazing multi instrumentalist, and just she's one of the coolest people uh, out there. So you know that that's um, that's my one anecdote about that. And I love how the outro again is this sustained mellotron string note, mm. which then you know we'll talk about what it dissolves into later but you know what are what are your thoughts on light years rob i know that we've talked about this before yeah this is the gentle j of navy blues but next level i mean this song i love the tracks on navy blues obviously but this is next level j beautiful melody i would suggest one of his strongest vocal performances just in general um his, okay. his voice just sounds amazing He's singing right into your ear. I love the little guitar solo. It's sort of got a, I mean, I know Jay's like a Johnny Marr guy. It's kind of got that Smith C, please, please, please kind of vibe to it. Yeah. Um, and Chris and Jay, especially on both of these songs, I like that these songs are paired together in this way because both guys are really kind of letting go of the ghost. Um in a very real way, you know, they're not just singing about abstract ideas, you know, like I've, with yeah. both of these songs, they both feel very real and the relationships that, are, that, that, that they're singing about cut right to the core. Um, totally. Very, very pretty from Jay here. And um, actually in the uh, movie that my brother made that I've referenced in previous episodes, which is available on Vimeo, uh, which is called waiting for slow songs by bamboo pictures. B-A-M-B-U, if you want to look it up. Um, it's actually used in a sort of like, there's a little cut scene where you're kind of seeing Jay in the studio looking out the window. It's very pretty. And for that little solo at the end, and it just sort of is like a beautiful, it, for me, um, I'm a huge John Hughes fan, uh, for anybody who knows me. Mm. And um, there's a great scene at the end of She's Having a Baby where Kate Bush wrote a song, A Woman's Work, specifically for the scene 
And it's just very touching, very poignant. It's very beautiful. And for me, this song could easily just play over that scene as well. Like it's very filmic and very like, I don't want to say epic, but it's just sort of got a, because it's very subtly epic. I, I just think it's very pretty and, you know, would work over scenes of, relationship memories or you know just seeing the sunlight peeking through the window you know the idea of hope in the distance and yeah after all jay doesn't necessarily hate kate bush he really just hates her fans yeah good callback all right that's a callback everybody (laughs) as we we call it in business i love it (laughs) (laughs) so yeah we get you know light years um this ethereal feeling uh as the penultimate song on this on this album and you know i was so when I when I think we were talking about this at the show where I met you in Toronto in uh although I'm sure that we'd met in quotes online before that, but <laughs> um the the show the show at the Phoenix in Toronto in two thousand eighteen, we were talking about, you know, what's your favorite album? Oh yeah, I never heard the end of it. What's your favorite song on the album? Oh, it's probably it's gotta be another way I could do it. And I was I was impressed by that. because um, you were wearing a never hear the end of it shirt. Like, I think, that's right yeah. i was wearing i think chris gave me a nod from the stage when he was playing um <laughs> i think he was playing fading into obscurity or something yeah 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 and uh i was thinking you know word by word I, i'm a front row guy oh so me I, too you know, man I love, I love it i love it when i love it when the band notices that you're there yep. for whatever reason it's just ego but um this song just crashes in right and well, it crashes in with yeah it's another song that resolves so we resolve from the previous chris song into jay and this song Re- light years resolves into another way i could do it which is the last and 30th song on this mammoth masterpiece yeah and it just i love i love the chord progression the g sharp mm-hmm. minor uh and e and there's like certain there's a bit of f sharp in there but uh <laughs> that that just like the wonderful wonderful tension that that guitar riff the introductory guitar riff that's played the whole time the so what i get on this song is almost like a proto sloan feeling because you get that continual backing harmony from who i believe is patrick it's kind of very very quiet and hard to tell but that's what they did in their you know during the peppermint and smeared days as well they would have both of them singing uh, melodies at the same time in harmony me too man you said it there are obviously in their early in their career songs like underwhelm 500 up or chris and patrick are kind of just singing the whole time together um this is a return to that, which makes me think that this is potentially a repurposed older song. I don't know that if that That to be be. the case. And I felt the same way when I heard spin our wheels on 12 too, it felt like something that was maybe a bit older or well, maybe not that one. Uh, the day will be mine. I really felt was like a repurposed. Yeah. Day will be mine is, is yeah. Yeah. It's a flashback. Yeah. And so I don't know if this is sort of the same song story as ill place trust in that it's an older song that's been kind of shined up and finished. But it certainly has that feeling like this could have been something that was around in the smeared era. Um, It's got both guys singing for sure. It's got the downbeat symbol thing that I talked about in other songs, like everybody wants you where instead of the, the symbol coming in on, you know, one, two, three, four, it's like, but it's like a hesitated hit. Um, So I I love that about it. Uh, I love the bells right before, uh, before the bridge or whatever you want to call yeah, the it. Glock- like Glockenspiel. Yeah. The Glockenspiel. Uh, yeah. Said with perfect German pronunciation over there. <laughs> yeah. Das Glockenspiel. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> love it. I'm thinking about uh, the Schmenke brothers from SCTV. <laughs> I love it. But uh, it makes me think of that anyway. So, um, but yeah, I love the bells again, the sound that we don't, 
traditionally really hear on any of their records. I mean, this is probably the only appearance of it. I get, I always get a little bit sad when that Glock guitar interlude comes in because for me, it's the signal that the album's about to end. Mm. <laughs> it makes me sad. This is how much I love this album. That w- when I get to another way I could do it, which isn't just a great song and isn't just a great mirror image of Flying High Again, you know, with all four members singing the outro and with the outro dissolving into nothing and with you as a listener being able to hear those incidental studio sounds, you know, and the tambourine and whatever. Um, but it's also just sad because I want to start the album from the top again. Yeah, And I, I love the quote that Bob Dylan had about Gordon Lightfoot. Whenever I hear a Gordon Lightfoot song, I wish it would last forever. Mm. You know, I don't want this to end. And my, my Gordon Lightfoot in terms of Sloan albums has never heard the end of it. I don't want this album to end. You, you never, know? you never want to hear the end of it. No, give us the 55 track. Never hear the end of it. You know, I'm, this is a plea to the band for 2026. If you may be thinking about doing, and I'm like, this might have to be a 10 LP <laughs> box set for never hear the end of it. And I'm willing to spend an arm and a fucking leg on this. Just give me the 55 tracks that you guys had as demos or whatever. Cause I want to hear all of it. I want to hear every, Every single last bar. There's not one bad bar on this entire album. Yeah. It is, there's not one bad, there's a couple of cheesy lines. Like when you hear Patrick say, turning up the sound loud on uh, I Understand, and it's sort of like an Avril Lavigne type effect, but even there, it works in the context of this song. There's not one single bad bar on this album. And Chris rounds it off so perfectly with another way I can do it. And just, mm. Like listen to the listen to the crescendo at the end of the song, right? Oh, I can't wait. And listen to listen to the height the heights of his voice and how the the intensity with which he sings it. And you know, there's another way to blow it off. Mm. It just sounds amazing, right? This song is a journey for me, and personally too. I mean, like it's it's interesting just to kind of take a step back for a second. The song doesn't really have a defined song structure in the traditional sense. Like it's kind of like verse, verse, instrumental verse something that could be either a chorus or a bridge another verse. And then the song just fucking like, I understand, but in a different way, just goes right into outer space, you know, right through the ionosphere. And, um, this was me. I mean, and, and I think maybe one of the reasons this album impacted me so other than the fact that it's fucking perfect is that it struck me at a really important time in my life. I was making the move to Toronto and I didn't know my way through this fucking city. And I don't think I ever will. There are a lot of parts of the city I've yet to discover. So I relate to him and I assume he's talking about Toronto. Yeah. But I mean, that's me. And and, and this song is me in spades. And uh, there's a reason that it's stuck with me for so long. I mean, it's tough to say again, like I said at the top of this episode, it's hard to define if this is my favorite album or this is definitely my favorite song on this album. So therefore, is this my favorite Sloan song? I don't know. But it, it holds a, a special place in my heart and I'll never get sick of it. It's just so perfect. And anyway, I, the guitar, we've touched on this before. I have to assume this is Andrew playing a big role here. He's playing the outro solo for sure. Definitely. Or the outro riffs. The man with all the answers that he references. I like to think in my mind is Mike Nelson, you know, which, uh-huh. which I think the double meaning would be the man, ask the man with all the answers is be like, you know, praying to God or something. But in this case, he just turns to Mike Nelson, you know, and says, is there another way we could blow it all? You know? And, yeah. um, but again, this is another song about acceptance of place in life slash musical history. It just sort of a, a recap is just sort of, he's thinking about, could I have done things differently? 
and I'm I'm happy with the way that it did go. And and and, and had I done it differently, would it just have ended up in the same space at the end anyway? Would it have made a difference yeah. in the long run if I, if there was another yeah. way that I could have done it? Would I end up in the same spot? You know, you'd think I'd know by now, right? You'd think I'd know. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I love the the way this is sung. And as you said, as it gets closer to the end of the song. God, this song just fucking takes off. And, and and he goes into the high part at the end. Again, listener, if you haven't heard this song in a while, please, if you do nothing else after listening to this, uh, other than going to check out the uh, Murder Records podcast, obviously, but fucking get your hands up, pull this album out, and listen to this track. It's just so great. And and Chris coming, he's had some end of album, mem- like incredible memorable songs what's the laying so low which will be coming up in a couple years in 2011 on double cross is another one where he just poignantly hits the end of the album with just the perfect you know nugget of perfection if you will um and this is sort of for me this is kind of getting into the point of this podcast again which is this song for me means so much and is so great I just I want to let these guys know how important they are to us as fans and to people in general. Can can you imagine any other, like there's I I can't think of another band that is just putting out this kind of quality. This is the song at the end of 29 other songs on this mammoth masterpiece double record. 15 years into a band's career, a band that's got all original members, they're all singer-songwriters, they're all just like the most charismatic people too. They're super fun. Um, and they aren't missing a step. This is the last song on this record and it's just dynamite. Yeah. Love it. Perfection. It's 20. Yeah. I mean, how many albums can you claim that you've listened to maybe in the high hundreds of times? (laughs) And when you listen to it, every time you listen to it, you're hearing something new. Mm. Every time you're listening to it, you're 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 finding something new lyrically in one of the tracks, or you're finding something new in the instrument in the instrumentation and composition that you love, or one of the songs that you didn't like very much has now become your new favorite. How many albums can you claim have had that impact on you? And let's not forget, this is an album that they made on their own terms because they want an album that they would like. It's a musician's album. It's an album for Sloan, but. It's a fan favorite, you know, which is, I think, the reason why this is such a big turning point for the band. Let's start making music on our own terms. And that's what fans love. Mm. And I'll say it for I'll say it for everybody. This is something we haven't said on this show yet, but to the band, thank you. Thank you for this record. You know, we're 15 years after this album came out, but I just want to say, like, message received, you fucking nailed it. This album is absolute perfection. And in, in a band with albums worth of, you know, perfect songs, you know, elsewhere in their discography, obviously that's why we have a podcast about it. But, um, yeah. What else can you say about this? This album ends just as it began perfectly. Absolutely. And, you know, this has been an odyssey looking at all 30 tracks on never hear the end of it. And I, I want more, like, I know that this album will, will receive more coverage over the life of our podcast. And then we'll be talking about individual tracks and about the recording process, et cetera, hopefully with a couple of special guests. So if you're listening to this, if you've made it through this, uh, I'm looking at a clock, like four hour odyssey <laughs> of a podcast. And if you're, if you're interested in learning more about never hear the end of it, then please continue to listen um, it's been a great exercise going through this album with you, Rob. I'm so happy that we did it. Yeah. And I feel both spent 
but also aware <laughs> of my keen fandom for for this band and my absolute love for this album. So thank you, Sloan. Thank you, Sloan. And thank you, listener. We will catch you down the road. Thanks for going on this journey with us. Let's all pull out a copy and listen to this one. It's a classic. It's one, it's, it's, yeah, one of the best albums by the greatest band. So we'll see you down the road, listener. We thank you so much for listening. We'll see you soon. Oh, fuck my hand.